here's an article about that. And first it starts like Jim usually does when he's here by defining the word. So do we have to mention Jim? Oh yeah, I think we do. Because if I'm going to define a word and use the same word to define it, then we have to mention Jim because he's the master of that. Oh, he's the master at defining without defining? Yeah. A skills gap is when you have a gap in skills. Oh, I see. <laughs> that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> Guys, am I going to see you at IMTS? Nick, it's not just for the guys. It's not? No, there's a lot of women manufacturing leaders that are going to be at IMTS. We know a lot of them. And women make manufacturing move. That's right, Jim. And in fact, IMTS has their special women make manufacturing move events at IMTS. So they're going to have exhibits. They're going to have luncheons so that women can mingle with their peers. They can make connections. I mean, they're really putting an emphasis on attracting and retaining women in the manufacturing industry. And I think that that's really exciting. That sounds awesome. So where do we sign up? So go to imts.com, register, and then look for the special events like Women Make Manufacturing Move. Welcome to Making Chips. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm here with my friend, Jason Zenger, and a very special guest from our team. This episode, we aim to do two things. Number one, we're going to inspire manufacturing leaders to do their own skills gap analysis. Number two, we're going to show what happens when employees take this to heart and keep developing new skills. But first, we play a theme song. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Hey, Jason. What's up, man? I'm doing well. I'm tired. And I feel like this episode is definitely going to be relevant for me because our business model is changing a lot. And I had mentioned before that we're making some changes to our company as far as reconfiguring how we do our in-person business where clients would come in person. I think the I mentioned that before. Yeah. yeah. And we're the seeing... The brick and mortar. Uh, the brick and mortar. Yeah. And I'm seeing like our VMI, our vending machine, our integration services are just blowing up. Yeah. And so doing this skills gap analysis, I think is going to be helpful for me. Even though I'm not a manufacturer, that's going to be helpful for me to really take notice of this and figure this out. Yeah. I mean, this is something that applies to any industry, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Like I'm researching this because it's something we need to do a better job of. It's not, sure. it's not like this is something that we do all the time, but... Like at the company, at the manufacturing floor? Yeah. Well, just everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere in our organization. If it's engineering, if it's marketing, if it's sales, if it's on the production floor, whatever it is, we need to really be more process-oriented and have a real real system for yeah. assessing like where we're at, where we need to be, and then how the skills need to improve. And as people are retiring, this is going to become that much more relevant. So I actually have a story that has some relevancy. Do you want me to tell it yeah, now yeah, or do yeah. you want me to yeah, wait? No, until, go ahead okay. and tell it. So we do a little bit of light manufacturing at Zengers. We weld bandsaw blades. So sure. we'll take coil stock of a bandsaw blade, we'll cut it to length, and then we'll weld it and anneal it and grind it and all that kind of good stuff. It's a big part of our business and we partner with the manufacturer that we have. Lennox? Yes. Yes. To do that. And one of the things that's happening is that there's a lot of knowledge that's retiring there. Mm -hmm. And we have a need like to... in a month, in a week, this year? Already. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And these are the individuals that we used to rely on to do a lot of things for us in our manufacturing process. Train new welders, 
PM our machines, troubleshoot, just all that kind of stuff that we do on a regular basis. And you go to the factory and they're like, yeah, we know it's an issue because we're dealing with this as an issue as well. And so fortunately, I have a good enough relationship with some of the retirees. They're more than happy to come out of retirement for me on a part-time basis to train my team to do the things that I need them to do. But I mean, you don't always have that. And you don't always know what you're going to get out of a commitment. So yeah, exactly. In both of our cases, we have some people who just retired and they're willing to do a few hours, you know, so for some, it might be half time for some, it might be yep. a couple hours a week. And that's a lot better than nothing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But, and, and fortunately for us, we don't have a dire need where we're like, oh no, we have a gap that we can't fill. But looking into the future, I just think to myself, okay, well, if we have some turnover in our employment, what do I do in order to train a new person? And so that's where I'm trying to figure out the skills gap analysis as it relates to my business in a lot of different ways. I dug into this a little bit and I did some research, so hopefully we can help out. But we always do some news at first. And even my news is pretty connected to it. I have in my notes here, manufacturing news, comma, not really. Okay. So it's not really news, but it's a good article that includes some news. And it's from a website called learningrebels.com. Never heard of it. Skills gap analysis for the future of work. So it starts by defining like what we mean by a skills gap. And before I jump into the article, I always think skills gap, and I think manufacturers, and whenever we talk about it, we think of the skills gap as something that happens to your company because of this broader industry and there's not enough awareness. And it's always this big macro global far away thing that happens to you instead of something that you can actually be proactive and control. You mean like there's not enough machinists to yeah, like there's reach not the enough GDP levels, or They don't make them like know, they yeah. used to. Instead yeah. of thinking like, what is the skills gap as it applies to my exact company and what are we doing to address the gap? Right. You know, it's not just this thing that happens to you. Yeah. Like, it's not like COVID-19, like this pandemic that you can't control and, yeah. and you have no influence over. Well, I mean, as much as I want to... I do the Making Chips podcast and I care about what happens to the manufacturing industry writ large on a macro level. But I mean, 99% of the time I'm thinking about my own business, you know, right? and how I can solve my own skills gap. Yeah, exactly. Here's an article about that. And first it starts like Jim usually does when he's here by defining the word. So do we have to mention Jim? Oh yeah, I think we do. Because if I'm going to define a word and use the same word to define it, then we have to mention Jim because he's the master of that. Oh, he's a master at defining without defining? Yeah. A skills gap is when you have a gap in skills. Oh, I see. That answers (laughs) a lot of questions. (laughs) No, but here's what it is. So a skills gap analysis is a tool used to assess the difference. What difference? The difference between the skills employers desire and the skills that their employees actually bring to the table. So pretty common sense. Well, I think the opportune word there is it's a tool. And not a lot of people, I think, when they think of skills gap, they don't think of like, what tools can I use? Yeah. Like, how do I do an analysis? They're just like, man, I need more of this. Right. And I feel like this. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so we want to systemize it a little bit. The article continues, the truth is within organizations and across all industries, certain jobs will disappear due to automation while others will change in terms of their core tasks, competencies, and responsibilities. And then it references this future of jobs survey from the World Economic Forum. And what was interesting is it gives what skills are increasing in demand versus decreasing in demand. And so like a couple of the top ones on the increase are data analysts and scientists. Mm -hmm. We actually have some of those now in our organization working as a partner to us. Okay. Never had data analysts before. I am our company's data analyst. Yeah, right. I have a sales data analyst. And a scientist. Who helps me with like analyzing what's going on in our sales pipeline and what's going on with each region and each business unit. And then I also have analysts that help me on the marketing side. 
Another one, AI and machine learning specialists. How often do we talk about that in the industry? Big data specialists, digital marketing and strategy specialists, process automation specialists. Those are the top five. Makes sense. And so if you think about this IMTS that we have coming up, right? It's digital manufacturing implemented. And all of the top five that are increasing in demand are all somehow connected to data or digitization or automation. And so I thought... That no, was this is all jobs, right? Not just manufacturing. All jobs, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's interesting that a lot of these... So many of these are related to manufacturing. I mean, you've got robotics engineers on there. Yeah, I know. know. Exactly. So what's decreasing? Okay. Well, look at, they need more strategic advisors. Maybe I can find my niche there. There you go. You're always giving good advice. (laughs) Thanks. So here's what's decreasing. (laughs) Data entry clerks, administrative and executive secretaries, accounting, bookkeeping, and payroll clerks, accountants and auditors, assembly and factory workers, business services and administration managers. When I list those, what I'm thinking is jobs that can be automated, jobs that where you can, a lot of it's like repetitive, not as creative tasks. When it says like assembly and factory workers, in my opinion, that doesn't mean someone on your shop floor who's going to be trying to get the most out of all the equipment there. That means like the person who puts the same screw in the same threaded hole over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. So just kind of interesting to point that out. So one of the things that I found interesting on the decreasing demand is that it says that there's a decreasing demand for sales reps involved in wholesale manufacturing technology products. I completely get that because I know from my standpoint, for the amount of sales that we have, each one of my quote unquote salespeople are handling much larger book of business. Yeah. Just because so many of the things are automated and all of my salespeople are much more application, technologically focused, operationally focused than actually being a salesperson. Sure. Then actually conducting the sale. The only way I get this thing is when I call this person. Right. Right. Yeah. They're not doing those things. They're not spending their time as much closing sales or hunting for new business. I'm actually spending some of my time doing that. Yeah. But my account manager sales reps are not because we're getting most of our business via referral, first of all. Sure. And there's just no time End users don't have time. My account managers don't have time to be selling. They're too busy applying and helping and improving and working on all those continuous improvement. Sure, sure. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That was on the decreasing side. So the article concludes and it references this survey throughout the article of the future of jobs. And it concludes with basically this call to action. Here's what a skills gap analysis will do. These are the immediate areas of impact. Number one, it'll widen your lens to see the depth and breadth of your organization. If you don't do this, you don't necessarily know how deep or wide your people can go. Mm -hmm. Number two, help the business stand above the competition. Obviously, if you understand the gap between you and where you want to be, you can close that gap and differentiate yourself. And then number three is it helps you take a scalpel to training programs. So if you have a plan to close the skills gap at your fingertips, you have a plan that's going to add impact to your business. So there's a lot of different things out there for training and it helps you figure out like, what am I going to actually invest in and spend my time on and put my employees on? Mm -hmm. So I have one employee in particular who's our guest today. Before you introduce her, I I have one other comment that I was going to make Sure, yeah, jump in. So it's funny because I wasn't really calling it like a skills gap analysis, but one of the things that I did, and I don't know, I don't remember if I've done, I've done over 300 episodes of Making Chips, so I can't remember every single episode that I've done. 319? Yeah. And I was probably a part of 317 of them. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did perform this type of analysis in my accounting department. I didn't call it skills gap. What I was calling it some kind of dynamic 
role optimization. And what I was trying to accomplish... Ooh, that sounds fancy. Yeah. And what I was trying to accomplish was to say, okay, if we have all of these jobs that need to be done in accounting, if person A has a preference over these tasks over person B, how do we dynamically apply those different functions so that everybody's doing what they want to be doing and what they're really good at? Okay. But it kind of does a skills gap analysis. Yeah, because if you spend your time doing things that you're naturally good at, your day flies by, you're more productive Mm -hmm. than the grind of you or I having to do administrative work or trying to organize an agenda. Exactly. So if I haven't already done an episode about this, which I'll look it up. Maybe I can talk about it. I think I remember talking about it. I don't know if we did a whole episode. Yeah. And when we go through later in the show, we're going to talk through some steps to do a skills gap analysis. And I think you'll see elements of that in there. So Sounds good. Well, why don't you introduce Crystal? Yeah. So our guest is a skilled industrial marketer. She's a technical designer. She's a 3D mechanical animator, people manager, strategic planner, a culture builder, and most recently, she just became the eighth female CMTSE, which nice. means Certified Machine Tool Sales Engineer. She's the Director of Marketing for one of our companies, Advanced Machine and Engineering. And she's an Administrative Assistant for you and I and Jim at Making Chips. She's a mother to a young daredevil son that I call Mad Max. If you think of Van Vliet, the first name that comes to mind is often Fred. Fred Van Vliet, the oh, okay. NBA All-Star from, oh, nice. our, okay. from our hometown of Rockford, oh, Illinois, wow. which happens to be Crystal's cousin. So... Welcome to the show, Crystal. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Yeah. Okay. I've known you for a long time. We've been working together for making chips, for advanced. And before we dig into the how, you know, the point of this episode is how we perform a skills gap analysis. I need to clarify that we didn't do any of this for you. Okay. Like (laughs) I didn't ever perform a skills gap analysis for her. Nothing formal. And definitely nothing for the AME team and nothing for the Making Chips team. That's part of well, why I I'm researching I feel like all this. of this is usually done like flying by the seat of your pants, as right, they say. Right. And so it's good for us to talk about how to do this in a more formalized manner so that we don't have to do it that way. Exactly. And why I wanted to bring Crystal on is because she's the type of person who you don't have to tell her exactly what to do. She will, in her mind, understand these gaps and learn how to fill them. What skills do I need? And she's been doing that throughout her career. So... We're talking about her career, and I want her to start at the beginning. Crystal, give us a little bit of the uh, origin story. So how did you end up in the metalworking nation? So growing up, I actually grew up in manufacturing. My mom co-owned a thread rolling and dye company that my grandfather started. So I grew up around the shop. So I don't know if you remember when you were walking me through the shop at Advanced for the first time that I looked at you and I said, it smells like home. Yeah, that's great. That coolant smell. Absolutely. Yep. All the oils and all that. Like so, if greasiness had a smell, you can kind of smell that in, in yeah. uh, with all the fluids, <laughs> the cutting fluids and everything. Sure. So so you're, the company actually did thread rolling? Because we actually sell thread rolling products. That was, that was kind of funny that, oh, that's you, know, cool. you mentioned yeah. that. So they did the thread rolling and dye machines. So, oh, so they built the, the machinery. The machines. And then okay. they did some rebuilding and all of that as well. So they had some one-off things as well. But from there, I actually ended up studying accounting for a while. I studied three years in school, in high school, and then I went to college for accounting and I ended up trickling down through marketing, graphic design, and landed in advertising. So manufacturing as a child through the family business, then Mm -hmm. accounting was your focus in high school and early college. And then you went all the way out of that into design. 
Yep. What prompted that? It was just a series of accounting I was interested in for a long time. And then I got into the thick of it and I was just like, there is not enough variety here for me. You know, (laughs) numbers always tell the same story, but there just wasn't enough to keep me busy in my head, I guess. So I ended up going into graphic design and there was a lot there to love, but it wasn't quite what I needed. Sure. And then advertising just kind of hit that right there in the middle. Okay. So your degree is actually in advertising. Advertising. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we brought you in, it was from another business that was kind of an industrial machinery builder when you first came to work for me at Advanced. Yeah. So they did linear actuators and just the linear motion components. Sure. Sure. That's the name, right? PVC linear. Yep. 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 So they were components for other machinery that people would buy the components incorporated into their machine and there would be an end product. Yep. And then there was also, if I remember correctly, they were launching a machine of their own. Yep. They were doing 3D printers. So that company is 3DP Unlimited. Okay. And they're kind of under the same roof. They are under the same roof. Yep. And so those were large format printers and that was a lot of fun to dive into as well. Okay. So we needed a designer and my cousin, Caleb, who works for the business, found you on LinkedIn, reached out to you and we had lunch. And what attracted you to working for Advanced? I actually, when you guys had contacted me to do an interview, I remember doing some research on the company because I was newer to the area. So I hadn't heard of you before. And I saw the homepage video on YouTube and it gave me goosebumps talking about bringing manufacturing back to America and the family values and everything that you guys held. And it just really spoke to me because growing up around a family company, it was what I was missing. Sure. Sure. That's really awesome. Actually, it's probably the same video that I used to introduce myself to the Making Chips guys. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Jason, do you remember when I sent that? that I do. That like 2018 yeah. or something yeah, like I that. I was like, Absolutely. hey, here's yeah. this video. It kind yep. of tells my story. You guys do a good job telling stories. And then next thing you know, I was a guest. And yeah, I, I mean, those kind of videos are really good at attracting and recruiting. Um, yeah, I know, actually didn't know members. that. I didn't know that that was kind yeah, of like funny. What, what drove her to accept the interview. So yeah. Well, we're glad we have you. We're going to tell more of your story now as we go through kind of the steps of this analysis. Mm -hmm. So let's just dive in. As I was doing research, we identified seven steps. Number one is you got to make a plan for the analysis itself. So the first thing you got to do is you want to look at it at an individual and a team level. So like what is... Nick need to develop? What does Jason need to develop? What does Crystal need to develop? And then like, what does this department need to develop? What does this organization need to develop? So as you've been with us and you've, you've moved around quite a bit, we've, we've had, (laughs) I don't know, remember when you started, it was like 2016, 2017, something like that. Somewhere in there. Yeah. And you've had what, six, seven jobs now. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, all, they all kind of like build on each other, but Um, there's been times where we've identified gaps in both our team, whether it was the making chips team at the time or the AME team, and then gaps in your own skill set where you're like, Hey, I really want to take this on. Mm -hmm. But there's one particular skill that I always like to show off when, when I'm talking about you and that's the animations. Mm -hmm. So I remember when you came in, you were more of a graphic designer who could work with some 3d models and stuff. But now, I mean, if you haven't seen the animations that we produce at making chips through crystals work, it's really brilliant stuff. So what caused you to want to start with animations? Like what was the trigger for all of that? So that actually goes all the way back to PBC linear. Okay. So that was the first time I was really introduced to 3D models and rendering and trying to move toward the photorealism. Mm -hmm. And I always had an interest, but we always had that position filled. And when I came over to AME, 
we had someone kind of working in that position, but they were also kind of an engineering position. So it wasn't really fully filled. And I was just like, well, let me get my feet wet in this a little bit. Because at the same time, I was studying mechanical engineering at Rock Valley College. At the local kind of like technical college, right? Yep. And it was the, and that program was actually parallel with NIU as well. So um, they worked in tandem, but During that time, I was studying SolidWorks, so I was getting more familiar with the 3D space and working with 3D models. And I was just like, if there's a time to dive into it, it's right now. Because how can you apply 3D modeling to marketing content? And we just talked about storytelling. Yeah. And it's hard to describe mechanical things with, you know, a written article, right? Absolutely. And we were going, at the time, we were going out. We were outsourcing the animations because I knew that they were important. I knew that they told a great story, but they mm-hmm. weren't cheap. Right. If you try to go outside for animations, it's pretty expensive. Absolutely. So I just remember you saying, number one, like, hey, our company has a policy where we pay for people to get trained as long as it's relevant to their job. Mm-hmm. And you were like, hey, I want to learn 3D modeling. Can you guys help me with these classes? And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm not really sure how this applies, but I think it's awesome that you want to do it. And then <laughs> next thing you know, it's like, hey, I want to learn animations. There's some software that works with the with SolidWorks. And yep. it's like, okay, you guys want to pay for that? And it's like, yeah, we'll invest in that. Mm-hmm. We've had times both ways where you invest and it works out great. And other times where you train somebody and then they like don't use the skill or they yeah. leave your company. But man, I am really glad because if you think about how we tell the stories of the mm-hmm. products that we make, so much of it revolves around animations. Well, and that was one of the things, too, that I was focused on as we talked in the early stages was you're working with engineers and that's who you're selling to. And engineers are very visual people. Mm-hmm. So it just makes sense to tell the story visually if you have the capability. Gotcha. Hey, Jim, can you take a college course that teaches you how to run a machine shop? Well, I guess you can. I really don't know about that, but... I can certainly tell you that ProShop is helping me run my business like a college-level course. All you have to do is follow the process. Well, you know, nobody goes to college anymore anyway. Yeah, they They listen to podcasts. (laughs) They listen to podcasts. They follow the system in ProShop. All your processes will be documented. Everything will be laid out in a way that's going to promote continuous improvement in your shop. Absolutely. The best part is, is when you're using ProShop, your company becomes completely paperless. Oh, that's awesome. So where do they learn more? Go to ProShopERP.com. So that kind of leads into step two. So if step one is like plan it, plan your analysis, plan how you're going to figure out where you're at at an individual level and a team level. Step two is define your organization's future goals. You knew we had a goal to tell more animated stories and you kind of raised your hand and said, hey, I want to learn this. So what we could have done to Jason's point earlier about being more systematic about this is we could have said, hey, this is a gap. We don't have anyone who can do animations. It's very expensive to go outside. And we could have like offered a position. I want to do two things in this episode. I want to inspire people to do that. And I also want for the listener who is at a company who doesn't do this, like most companies don't, I want them to think about like, hey, can I do this in my head? Can I raise my hand and figure out where the gaps are and and give the idea to the company? So, well, I suppose that defining part of your organization future goals, like Crystal said, telling stories through animation, there's a part of that where the technology has to keep up with what those future goals are too. And as you see more video being used online as opposed to people using more static... Just pictures and written articles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
And just even from the standpoint of when you come up with a, what do they call that? A book that tells you how to use a particular... Like a brand book? Yeah. No, 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 no. How to use a particular product. Oh, like an instruction manual. Like an instruction manual. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, most instruction manuals are blah and static and yeah. more modern companies are moving towards video for their instruction manuals instead. And it's like, okay, you when you get a product, you're like, okay, here's the QR code, go to our video. Right. As opposed, and then you can continuously refresh well, Think it. about it. If you order a toy for your kid or something like that, you can read the Chinese instructions that make no sense, mm-hmm. or you could just YouTube someone who's already assembling exactly. it. Exactly. Watch some other dad yeah. teach you how to do it exactly. half the time. Exactly. So as it relates to like defining your organization's future goals, do you want to reinvest in that static old school style or do you want to invest in the future which would be okay we need to look at the skills gap from a videographer standpoint from a 3d animator standpoint just whatever else that it requires in order to accomplish that and so the what she brought to the table when we first interviewed her was catalogs and really nice imagery in the catalogs and then we saw this gap hey we want to do more video storytelling and now her portfolio looks quite different right Mm -hmm. Okay. So define your organization's goals. Just in a nutshell, where are you going? What's on the horizon for your company in the next 12 months? Given the current workforce, how can we develop the necessary strategies to get us where we want to go? What areas of business are we lacking knowledge or resources in? What jobs need to be filled in order to allow the organization to get to where it needs to go? You get the feel, right? Mm -hmm. So she's gotten more skills that are totally outside of storytelling. She's not all marketing anymore. She's a CMTSE. Yeah. So, okay. So you're a graphic designer. You've figured out how to do like these 3D animations. So what caused you, what gap did you see that you wanted to go for your CMTSE certification? So that actually came kind of through a series of events. I think it was in my first year when Nick got his CMTSE certification. And it got me really curious because a part of this whole process of going back to school for some engineering schooling and things like that was, I want to think more like an engineer so I can market to engineers. And this is just kind of a part of that process. When the CMTSC started to come back into vision on a daily basis was when we started talking to our sales team about getting this certification as well as a part of how you work for our advanced machine. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know what? Marketing and sales work in tandem. I belong also having the certification. I need to step up to the plate, understand even deeper who I'm marketing to, what they're looking for, and what's important to them. So it just kind of made sense. Okay. That makes sense. So one thing I always say is if I was a doctor and I was the guy selling medical equipment to another doctor, I would have more credibility. Right. Well, oftentimes like the way a chip conveyor infiltration system is sold or a work holding fixture is sold is through someone who's selling machinery. And the CMTSC is like the MD of people who sell machinery. So I've asked my salespeople to, you know, get that certification so they can, you know, speak the same language and understand how other people are selling equipment where our product is part of that purchase. Makes sense. So I didn't ask Crystal. Here's another example of her just stepping up to the plate. I didn't ask her to take the test. Right. I, I had a program with the regional sales guys where they had to take the test. Next thing you know, like she signed up and she passes it before like three of my guys did. Nice. So I was really impressed. So step three. Okay. So step one, plan the analysis. Step two, define the organization's goals. Step three, catch up on the future of work trends. What is happening at large in the future of work, especially in our industry? So questions that you want to ask here is, which jobs have the potential to become automated? So go back to the news article about what's decreasing in demand, what's increasing in demand, what skill needs are currently on the rise, 
And which currently not yet existing positions will your company need? Yeah. So like an example of this could be robotics engineers, like we talked about during the manufacturing news. I mean, there's going to be obviously, maybe not just as much, but there's going to be a huge need for robotics engineers, just like there is for CNC machinists. I mean, you're going to have to, not only will the robot be tending the machine, somebody's going to have to tend to the robot. Exactly. You know, and make sure that it's functioning the way it's supposed to, troubleshooting it. I mean, those robots are going to need preventative maintenance and all that kind of stuff. right on. And one of the skills that's decreasing in demand is assembly workers, basic assembly workers. Mm -hmm. While one of the skills that's increasing in demand is automated process engineers and robotics engineers. Well, why is that? Because they're automating all the assembly. (laughs) Exactly, right on. So that's the fourth step. Determine key skills needed for the future, which we just kind of talked about. So things that are more automation oriented, things that are more heavy on the programming side. How, Crystal, have you noticed the required skills from whether you were the agency or whether you're working with the sales team? The required skills have changed over the course of your career. Give me some ways where you've noticed that changing. So over the last year or two specifically, I've absolutely dove in actually into the automation side, but more on the managerial side, right? So I've automated a lot of tasks as far as just checklist items for the day or checklist items for the month that you commonly forget. Mm -hmm. So diving into that, diving into project management Mm -hmm. has been very essential for our team and keeping things moving forward. And alongside with that, it comes into the agile space and Scrum and, you know, all those different project management methodologies. Okay, gotcha. So a couple of things that come to mind when I hear you say that one of the decreasing demand skills is just administrative assistance, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, Mr. This or Mrs. This, can you remind me every Thursday to do this thing? Or Mm -hmm. can you send this memo out every Friday? Mm -hmm. So you do administrative assistance for us at making chips. It's very helpful, but you don't do it in a manual laborious way. You just figure out how to like make our project management system trigger us with a reminder or automate those types of tasks. Yeah. I mean, a good pile of the tasks that we discuss when we're together, I'm already scheduling the text that goes out to you in two weeks to remind you to do something. Yes. And I would forget if she did not do that. (laughs) Those checklist items I mean, if you can put it into a checklist, it's more than likely able to be automated. Those are just done right away and we don't need to come back to them. So it could be automation. It could be other skills, but you're trying to figure out what's going to be needed. So once you understand your organization's Mm -hmm. goals and then you understand what's going to be needed, then you can figure out, okay, how do we back into this gap that we're trying to create? This gap analysis tries to create for us the gap that we need to fill. And so if you don't Mm -hmm. know what's needed in the future, you can't create the gap from right now in the future. It's pretty simple. So after you decide where you want to go in the future, the next thing you need to do is measure your current skills. And I think this Mm -hmm. is something that we could do a way better job of. And Jason said this earlier, you kind of get a feel for like what your organization's good at and what you're not good at and what you have needs in. But I think this kind of scoreboard, like a skill scoreboard or some sort of continuous assessment of where you're at would be really helpful. So is this just a matter of meeting with your supervisor and measuring your skills against the desired Yeah, so, you know, every business has some form of KPI, right? So ultimately, like, Mm -hmm. your P&L and your balance sheet is is how your business performs. But beneath that, you've got all the skills that create that result. And that's where I think people miss the mark, and my business included. Do we know, like, the individual statistics? How does this region perform? And how does this regional sales guy do? Or how does this sell in the shop perform? Is it 
consistently beating the targeted times, the cycle target time, or is it always late? You know, what's the on-time delivery coming out of this department or that department? So you can use your KPIs to figure out where your skills are at, because perhaps the reason you're missing that KPI, the reason you're missing the target is you just don't have the skills and that's part of the gap. You need to provide some training or, or do something to get the skill up to par. Do you guys do anything like this as far as like a skills assessment? You talked about that dynamic thing. You know, I can't remember what you called it. Yeah, it was like a dynamic role optimization. So like within a department, yeah, we measured the skills of the accounting team and said, okay, how do we move people's accountabilities around in order to match where they are most proficient and where they really enjoy doing their job. And it was a matter of asking them and doing a survey and saying, you know, hey, what's your preference and your skill level for these different jobs? And it was probably about 40 different skill sets. That's kind of twofold. One is tell me where you feel your skills are at. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring up is this self-assessment, you know, ask your employees Mm -hmm. to tell you where they think they're at instead of you going to them and being like, Hey, I think you're really bad at this, but really good at this. Well, crap. I thought, and then I took that. Yeah. And I took that feedback and then I asked questions in order to determine whether we were on the same page because somebody could feel that they are good at something, but they don't really kind of understand the whole picture of what it is. Yeah. I thought I was good at this little 10% piece of the whole thing. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, the second part of it is, and that's not even in any of the research I did, is like, what do they really enjoy doing? What are they passionate about? What gives them life instead of sucks the life out of them? Well, yeah. And I think that's a hugely important part of it. And usually you're good at what gives you life as opposed to what sucks it out. But I mean, there are a lot of things where you're just good at it because you've always done it and you hate it. You usually see... I've got a lot of those things. Like the world's best athletes just love the sport. But there are those cases where someone's just phenomenally talented and you can tell like they just, they don't have the same kind of passion. Right, right. All right. So that's the fifth step. And one question that I have for Crystal is, so we've done some of this. We're starting to incorporate this more and more. And I know you are with your team too. Mm -hmm. The self-assessment tool. So asking an employee to rate themselves. What's your experience with that? Where do you find value in that? It tells you a larger story for sure. It definitely dives into what they're more passionate about, what they aren't, and what they want to avoid. And down the road, it tells you a lot about what you could potentially lose Mm -hmm. that employee to, especially right now where you're having so much trouble filling spots and getting people to come into work. It's important to really pay attention to where their pain points are and what gets them excited so that you can find a healthy balance there. Yeah, that's a good point. If you're trying to develop a person into an area that they don't want to go, they're likely to find themselves out of your company working in a capacity that they really find joy in. I remember with you when you were a graphic designer, there would be conceptual projects where it's like, hey, take these descriptive words and try to like make a logo out of it. And then that's like the exact opposite of your passion, which is make this yes. 3D model look totally photorealistic and explain exactly how the mechanics work. Right. And what was interesting about that process, too, was we were trying to figure out, I remember we actually sat down one day, why do conceptual projects not mesh with me, but I can take a 3D model and make it into this animation that everybody just loves? And we eventually came down to the fact that it needs to be something that I can imagine as tangible. So when you give me a blank white piece of paper, I'm just going to stare at that thing all day. Yeah, write me a song or, you know, tell me a fictional story. That's not your world. Absolutely. But if you give me a 3D model and I can see it and I can work with it in a 3D space and make it do different things, it's a whole different story for me. So step six, find out where the gaps are. So I'll just to review the steps. We've planned our analysis. We've defined the organization's goals. 
we've looked at like what are the trends of the future work what skills are needed for the future work have we measured our skills at our organization against what's needed to find out where the gaps are so that's the sixth step finding out where the gaps are so this is just i don't have a person that does this or i've only got a junior person in this role and i need a senior level well like you've talked a lot role. about vmi integrations e-commerce mm-hmm. where you're right. headed right so yeah. That tells you like what skills you have, what skills you don't have and how you need to hire, right? So Right. So now yeah, you've absolutely. figured out this gap. Like I'm just making this up. I have no idea what the details are at Zengers, but sure. I have one person who can write a little bit of code and I right. need someone to be able to monitor my e-commerce web platform and he's got to be really mm-hmm. skilled and with experience in that right. or whatever. Well, now you right. know you need to do something because right. you have this gap. Right. So, Crystal, do you have another gap that you're thinking about now that you've got the CMTSE? Is there another place where you need to fill your role? So, my next steps, I would have to say, would definitely be diving into agile methodology. We run a pretty lean team. It's mainly myself and a web developer that we actually share with Hennig, our sister company. So, we run very lean, but we work with an agency. So, figuring out how to run a team in an agile way, being able to work with so many different business units is very important. And I need to be able to touch on all of these different product lines. So I think that's definitely going to be the next thing that I need to fine tune and dive into and figure out what I can do better. Okay. So it sounds like it's a matter of making sure that the projects keep moving in the right direction and everything. There's not a lot of barriers. Yeah, that, and it's that harder to do up. when you've got like a mixed team like we do. So we have some direct employees. Even some of her mm-hmm. direct employees are split with our sister company. So they're not totally mm-hmm. direct to her. And then we've got external right. partners that we use all as part of this marketing function that she runs. So mm-hmm. it's hard to like Gantt chart out things that where there's some direct, some indirect, some hybrid between the two. And that's why we're so passionate about Agile, which really helps you prioritize and figure out like what are the prerequisites from one step to the next. Well, and I can see that even working. We keep making this analogy to like a robotics engineer and the future of automation. I mean, a lot of companies are going to start off and say, okay, I've got a couple of robots and I need to outsource the engineering, the maintenance, the programming of those robots to a third-party firm. But eventually you need to look at this and say, okay, the future of my company is automating machine tending of all of my machines. And so I'm going to have to bring a full-time person on it that fills all these gaps. But you might have a situation where somebody's like, well, I'm only the programmer Mm -hmm. for robots. I'm not doing all these other things that you want me to do. And then you have this gap where, okay, do I need to hire two people? Do I need to find that one diamond in the rough that can fill all of these area. So that that becomes a challenge as well. And when you're working with a a hybrid of internal and external employees, that gives you a whole nother mix of issues as far as trying to time things out because you don't always have control over that timeline. So that's definitely something that I also need to focus on in the future. So guys, one of the themes of this IMTS is digital technology implemented. What does that mean? I got this. Last IMTS was four years ago, if you could believe that. And four years ago, you went out to IMTS and you saw a lot of technology that was really conceptual. Mm-hmm. But this year, with digital technology implemented, if you have an objective from a digital technology standpoint, you go to IMTS, you find out who you're going to partner with, and they're ready to implement it on the shop floor right away. 
That's like awesome. turnkey. So it's totally in reach. It's like in a box. It's within reach. It's ready to go. Great. Well, it was a thought four years ago. Now it's actually an entity that's moving, breathing, and it's already been implemented. Yeah, it's like you're ready to go to the store and buy a box and install it on the shop floor. So what do we got to do to get ready for this? So go to imts.com, register, and sign up. And download the app. Okay, so it sounds like we're doing a bunch of analysis. Yeah, what so do we that's do with the seven steps where you put it all into action. So everything right. up until this point is to get the gap figured out. What is the gap and what right. do we got to do to close it? And then you have to put the findings in action. Yeah. So she just yeah. brought up a good point that I was thinking about in this. And one of the things that the research said was, okay, so once you discover your skills gaps, you can start planning how to fill them. You can do this through a combination of training or hiring. But I added something else or partnering. Because yeah. maybe Absolutely. the plan is we're going to find a partner who can help us with this for the next six months as we train this person to become ready or as we hire mm -hmm. for that position. Cause you don't just flip a switch. It's not just training right. or hiring. It could be a partner. Like I know Zangers is a partner to, yeah, to many of your customers yeah. and maybe some of what you're doing that they, they could eventually develop an employee who can do it. Maybe they never want to get there, but partnering certainly needs to be part of the equation. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like as it relates to a lot of these steps, I kind of flow through a lot of these mm -hmm. in my head, except for that dynamic role optimization that I was talking about. I haven't actually put this down, I guess, in a spreadsheet would probably be the easiest place to do it. But this is a good formal way of really right, thinking yeah, through you, this. You got to get to that gap. Okay, so I did some research and I talked on making chips, but we can formalize this. I can add elements of that. What do you like doing? I want to add that mm -hmm. into this and I want to formalize this into our company in terms of like how I hire and where we're headed. So Yeah. And you could push this down to other departments and say, you know, hey, you need right. to do this. Yeah, it could be created here and then well. it could be applied to anything else. So absolutely. So at the end of the day, we end the show the same way. And we all know if you don't have skills, then you're not making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. <laughs>